as I try to get hooked up here. Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I was uh, looking this past week about what culture has to say about the Bible and whether or not we can believe it. And I hope that everyone here today has made the decision in their own hearts to believe what the Bible says, and not just parts of it, but every bit of it. Because what we believe about the Bible will determine our beliefs, and it will determine how we behave, wherever we are, no matter what we're doing. There, there, is, there is direction and instruction that the Bible gives us. And so we have to make a decision, even as Christians, that we're going to believe what the Bible says. And that is true. And I know what we're probably thinking already, well, I believe the Bible. I believe everything that it says. But have you ever made the statement, I, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, but, and that should never come out of our mouths. In other words, I think what we should say is, yes, I believe the Bible, and because I believe the Bible, I will. And we, we think, well, I would never compromise my, my beliefs or, or what the Bible says. But, you know, Christians don't have a very good track record, unfortunately, and I found some people, some Christians, who have important positions and important organizations that have made some startling uh, claims and comments and, you know, it seems like every couple of years or so an article comes out or somebody has something to say about the Bible and, and how it's a good book to read and it's got some nice ideas, but really, an ark and really, swallowed by a whale and really, the virgin birth. I mean, you know, things that, that we count as, as being so important to our, our belief system and how we started, started our walk with Jesus. It seems like they're just discounting all of that. And it's discouraging. And it's hard for us because we are missionaries. Everybody here that is a Christian is a missionary. Because we are supposed to go out into the world and share the message of the Bible with people who are in the messes of life. But what's hard for us, and I, and we, I think, would all agree with this, it is hard to share the message of the Bible with people who don't believe the Bible and don't want to have anything to do with what you have to say about it. And it doesn't help when people who have positions that are important and call themselves Christians say things like, I'm getting ready to read to you now. This took place only a couple of years ago, 2019, in USA Today. And it was from Oliver Thomas, who was a retired Baptist minister. Okay, think about that for just a minute. How many retired Baptist ministers do you know? And how many of those do you think highly of and respect? Because maybe it was under their, their preaching and under their leadership that you got saved and that you saw great things happen in a church and you saw God use that man and you think God bless that man for being who he was and standing for what he stood for. But here's a retired minister that I don't think I could say that about. He said that, among other things, that being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything that the Bible teaches. 
He said that. A retired Baptist minister. And then he went on to say, and this is really upsetting to me and, and insulting, he made fun of Christians who say, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Now, how many times have we thought that or heard that or said that and just felt good about it because we had something real and something truthful to believe in? But he's not alone in, in the things that he says. In, in 2019, there was also uh, an, an interview in the New York Times, and this one was involving the president of the Union Theological Seminary, a seminary that was founded on the infallible Word of God. And this individual, her name is Serene Jones. I can imagine that her life is anything but serene. You understand what I'm saying? Because of what, she's get, what she says in this, in this article. She said that, I find the virgin birth a bizarre claim. And then when asked what she thinks happens when people die, she said, I don't know. Uh, there may be something. There may be nothing. My faith is not tied to some divine promise about the afterlife. God is beyond our knowing. I don't worship an all-powerful, all-controlling, omnipotent being. Very, very upsetting, very upsetting because, you know, these are people with very important positions. Where, why this slide in thinking? Why this change in, in our religious leadership? You may or may not know who Albert Moeller is, uh, president of the Southern Baptist Seminary. This is what he had to say about Jones's interview, the one that we just read about. He said that she is rejecting biblical Christianity and that she has denied everything that makes the gospel the good news. And he said, that, he said this, and this is important to hear. He said that it seems as if she hopes to replace biblical Christianity with a new religion without anybody noticing. And have you thought about how our culture has shifted and, and they're thinking about certain things that 10, 5, 10 years ago, we would not have had any problem telling you, this is wrong. This is not right. And yet now there seems to be such a shift that if we say certain things, we get canceled. And if we don't say certain things, we're not woke or, you know, you know what culture is saying now. Such a, such a slide and a shift that is very upsetting, but it's, it's nothing that we haven't heard about in the Bible already. As a matter of fact, in Judges uh, chapter 21, it says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that seems to be where we're at. Even people who have made a commitment to follow Christ and to lead others in doing that as well, have just come to the point where they're just going to do what is right in their own eyes. There's so many other examples that I can give you. But let me ask you this question before we go on. Can we really believe the Bible today in 2021? Can we really believe the Bible? I'm so glad that we're getting those responses. Absolutely we can. And do you believe that if the Bible comes from God, if the Bible is the divine inspired Word of God, is that something that you and I as Christ followers should submit to and should try to align our lives with. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear you say that as well. But you know, not everybody in the Christian community feels that way. 
if you don't believe what the Bible says, then what you're going to do is you're going to make up your own ideas about things. You're going to come up with your own beliefs. And you're going to do what Judges says. You're just going to live the way that you want to live. And we can't do that. Because God rescued me from having to live that kind of life. When he saved me, and he, he told me, I have the life for you to live. And it's a new life, and it's a good life. It's the greatest life. It is the abundant life. And so you can just forget about all that other stuff that used to be important to you. And I'm going to give you new heart, new, a spirit that will guide you, and desires that come straight from me. And so it's up to us, after that happens, to acknowledge those things and live by that. Not to come up with our own thoughts and our own ideas. But I believe this church has been and is, and I pray that it always will be, a church that stands on the Bible as the inspired Word of God. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Now you can stay in Luke 4, but I'm just going to use a couple other verses before we get there. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when, we, when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's working in you. The word of God is working in you. It works in you every day. And as you feed off of it and as you read it, and as you take it in, it is working in you. It is alive and it is powerful. It, it's, it, scripture tells us those very things. And so I'm so grateful for the Word of God because it helps me to know who I am. It helps me to know who God is. And it helps me to know how I'm supposed to live and what I, can, what I need to do. And we all need that. Um, you ever wonder why Christians say that God is the Creator? You ever wonder why Christians believe that everyone sins and that marriage is between one man and one woman? You ever wonder why Christians say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he was crucified, that he was raised from the dead, and that he's coming back one day? You ever wonder why Christians say that? Just to be positive, just to have something happy and nice to say? You ever wonder why Christians believe that there is a heaven and a hell and demons and angels? And why we believe that life begins at conception. You know why we believe that? Because the Bible tells us so. Yeah, the Word of God tells us that. And that's why it is so upsetting to the world that we... To, that the Bible upsets the world. It shakes the foundations of their lives because... People want to live the way they want to live, and they want to do what they want to do. But the Bible says this is the correct way, and this is the better way. I'm so thankful for the Bible. And so knowing that and knowing that it's the truth, we have this great message to take to the world. And I think what's really good for everybody that has, that's supposed to do that, and that's all of you and all of me, we're supposed to take that message out there. We got to have some. We got to have sometimes some knowledge of, of of and some proof to give people as to why the Bible is true. And so I want to talk a little bit about some proofs that we have, we've always had, and that we can count on that we can give people when they ask us, "Well, how do you know the Bible's true?" 
And then I want us to look at some of the purposes of the Bible, what the Bible says about itself. But ultimately what I want to get to is Luke chapter 4, where we learn what our Savior, Jesus Christ, had to say about it. And I'm really interested in what Jesus has to say about anything. But let's talk about some proofs, and I'm going to try to go through these quickly. But all of these are important. And, I, and a lot of these are going to be like, I know what you're going to think. You're going to be like, well, duh. You know, that just makes sense. But the very first thing may be that way for you, and that is that the Bible is the most popular book that has ever been written. Think about that, the most popular book. It has unparalleled popularity. Um, it's the best-selling book of all time. It's been printed in more languages than any other book, and it's been read by more people than any other book. So there's a proof right there. That's why it's important. And it has influenced our world. You know, whether you want to admit it or not, it has. Because there are whole cultures that have been transformed from worshiping idols and devil worship and cannibalism and warfare, and they have become God-believing, God-fearing countries, cultures. And we cannot deny, we cannot deny, we must not deny that our own country, our own country's history and our own country's heritage owes really everything to the Word of God. Everything. Not just some things, not just part of it. We owe it all. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into this too much, but back in 1982, uh, our then president declared the Bible as the Word of God, and, and he designated 1983 as the year of the Bible. 1983. Who remembers 1983? Who remembers who the president was? Yes. Now, how many of you have heard since 1983 that 1983 was the year of the Bible? Who's heard that? Anybody? And he went on to say that, you know, we need to, uh, we need to study it, we need to apply it, and we need to teach it from, a, from a, an American president. Thank God for, for that. We've got evidence. We've got manuscript evidence of the Bible. Uh, the Jews were very, very careful when they made copies of the Old Testament. There's like over 5,300 complete manuscripts of the New Testament. 5,300. That's significant. And there's another 8,000 partial manuscripts that go back within a century of the original writings. Uh, I think we probably have all heard of Aristotle. He's, he's an interesting historical character. There's only five manuscripts for anything that Aristotle wrote. Five against 5,000, 8,000. Think about that. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism said this. They said that, that we know that the Word of God is the Word of God, straight from the Word of God, because of the majesty, and I love how they said this, because of the majesty and the purity by the consent of all the parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God. So just the unique all that the Word of God creates is proof that it's real and that it's true. Uh, the only thing that's popping into my head right now that I can liken that to is, fellas, when you saw the woman that you married that became your significant other, your partner for life, was there not a sense of awe when you first saw her? And was there not a sense of awe when she said, I will and I do? 
even a sense of awe when, you know, if you had children, she had children and she became a mother. And it was real and it was, it was something that you could touch and feel and believe in. But so much better and so far greater is the Word of God than even that. It inspires all. And that's reason right there. And that's proof right there that it's the Word of God. Think about the, the unity of the message of the Bible. Because it was written in three different languages. It was written over three continents. It was written by over 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years with different literary styles. I hope you took all that in. In other words, a lot of different people wrote in different languages and from different places over a period of 1,500 years. And still, they all contain the same theme from Genesis to Revelation. And that is the glory of God displayed through creation, the fall of man, and redemption through Jesus Christ. And then his final, his coming again. It's all, it all works together. The different people, different writing styles, different languages, different places. I dare say we used to play this game called gossip, and you'd have a line of kids, and you'd start something on this end, and you, you'd have them whispered in their ear, and it'd go down the line. And what started as one thing over here, when it got down here, it was completely different. That's a very fun game to play. I, if I did the same thing to you all, if I, if I whispered something in Dean's ear, and we went all the way through the church, and it came all the way over here to Lori, I shudder to think what Lori would say, because it would have changed so many different times. You know how Lori is. You, can't ever, you don't ever know what is going to come out of her mouth. I mean, look who she married. No, I'm just kidding. May you be encouraged today, brother and sister. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's amazing to think that with all of that going into the Word of God, that it is, that it is so cohesive and, and, and works together as well as it does. And then you've got to talk about prophecies, so many fulfilled prophecies, hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled with pinpoint precision. Things that were, that were said, this is going to happen, happened exactly as they were prophesied to happen. And then what so many people rely on and look for, there's archaeological confirmation uh, that this Bible that we have is not a storybook, it's a history book. And there are thousands of discoveries that have confirmed what we already knew to be true. Uh, 2019, they found uh, some artifacts from King Josiah's court officials and his administrative headquarters. A year before that, 2018, there was a ring bearing Pontius Pilate's name that was found. And then probably the greatest archaeological find in the 20th century are the Dead Sea Scrolls. Hopefully we've all heard about that, read about those. Uh, they contain more than 1,400 original documents, the complete scroll of Isaiah, fragments of every other book of the Old Testament, with the exception of Esther. So there's archaeological confirmation but so many people again rely on that type of thing and then there's scientific accuracy you know it was in Isaiah chapter 40 uh, chapter 40 that it, we're told that the earth is a sphere and that was found out actually to be true in the 15th century but the word of God already said it so what was everybody scratching their head about and I think it was in Job chapter 26 
Uh, we read that the earth is suspended in space. Sir Isaac Newton figured that out in, in 1687. Genesis chapter 15 says that the stars above us are innumerable. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's scientific accuracy to back it up. And well, probably what is the biggest deal for us and, and uh, is the most powerful proof that the Bible is real is the proof of a changed life. Think about your life before Christ. I think about mine before Christ. I mean, I was very young and didn't, hadn't had a chance to get into too much trouble. And mom may argue that point. I don't know. But there's a, it, it was a different way of existing. And everything changed the minute he came inside. I'm totally different. I'm not who I was. I'm made of different stuff than I was beforehand. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So a changed life is, is, is proof. And then the final evidence I want to give is that it bears witness to Jesus Christ himself. It tells us who we are. It tells us where we came from. It tells us why we're here. It tells us where we're going. And all of that points to Jesus Christ. Points like an arrow to Jesus Christ. John 5.39 says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So the, the Scriptures tell us about Jesus, the most important man in all of history who changed more lives than any other. So there's your proof. There's lots of proof. But let's talk about what the Bible says about itself. And I'm going to give you some words here, and I'm trying to go through this quickly because I'm still not to the meat of what I want to say. But we, we, read, we talk about Revelation. We know that Revelation is a book of the Bible. But we also know that God has revealed himself through general revelation. We'll call it general revelation by putting his existence on display in creation for us to see, but also working inwardly on our conscience to prove that he is real and that he's working in us. So there's general revelation there. But there's also specific revelation that we get through the Scriptures and through His Son. And the Bible that we have has all the revelation that we will ever need. So we don't really need to pray for a new revelation. We don't need to listen, or, or we don't need to listen too closely to people who say, I've been given a new revelation. It's different to say, I've been giving a better understanding and a new understanding of the revelation I've already received. But you do not say, I have a new, there's nothing new that God needs to show us or tell us. It's all there. It's already there. We talk about inspiration. And that has to do, that has to do with the recording of God's special revelation. Because he inspired man to write the revelation that he was giving. Uh, script, Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Um, he also goes on to say that every word, every letter, every jot, and every tittle, and that's in Scripture, every bit of that is breathed out by God. Everything that we need to know about God is in the Bible. 
And if we want to know what God has to say, we read the Bible. Because I think it's some 5,000 times in the Old Testament that you'll hear the phrase, Thus saith the Lord. That's a lot of times. Thousands, we're, we're seeing the thousands a lot today. Um, it's inerrant. It's infallible. There are no mistakes. There are no mistakes in the original manuscripts. And there are no mistakes in the Word of God that we read today. It is absolutely trustworthy. Second uh, Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves, to, proves true. What about the role of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Word of God. He illuminates the Scriptures for us. Uh, what a wonderful experience it is when we read Scripture that maybe we've read so many times before, and we read it that time that we just we, we, it's like a light turns on, and we get it. And it makes sense. It makes sense what Scripture says about my sin, and my sin has been dealt with, and it's been cast as far as the east is from the west. And even though the enemy will try to pull it up at various times in my life, many times in my life, he will throw it at me, and he will shove it in my face. And I can just look back at him, and I can say, that's been dealt with, and it's been cast as far as the east is from the west. But how many times have we shuddered in fear and run to the corner of the room and hidden in the darkness because we were so ashamed of who we have been and what we have done? And there is, again, we've talked about this, there's godly sorrow for the sin that we commit, but our sin has been dealt with at the cross. Bam, a light goes on. And so that, that's the Holy Spirit's role in all of this, to illuminate the Scriptures. Uh, Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And again, the, when the lights go off, <laughs> no, when the lights turn on, help me, y'all. When the lights turn on, I mean, it's just a good thing. It's a great experience as a child of God to understand things. And, and do, you ever, do you ever get something and in your, in your mind you're thinking, I think I always knew that? But I'm just now, like, appropriating it. I'm just now getting it. I'm just now grabbing hold of it. And I realize how free I am and how much peace and grace God has given to me. Those are good moments. Those are good moments. Um, we think about interpretations. Uh, that's discovering what the truth of the Word of God is. That's a lot like what we were just talking about. There is only one interpretation, but there are many applications. Uh, God is saying one truth. What we, what we need to be wary of is if, well, I, you know, this says, I think it says this, I think it says that. This book says this, this book says that. We, what we do is we study and show ourselves approved. And as we are doing that, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us what we need to know about those scriptures. We, we look to men for what they have to say and whatever knowledge God and wisdom God has given them. But the ultimate person we go to and the ultimate one to help us to understand the Word of God is the Holy Spirit. Bottom line. We can learn from many people, but let's learn, let's learn more from the Holy Spirit. Um, 
I've got several other things I could share here. It's authoritative. God has spoken it, so it's true. God says, I need to do this, so I need to do this. Um, Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It is sufficient. The word of God tells us that it is sufficient. How does it do that? When we're running around all over the place trying to feel this need and, and feel this void. And uh, as a Christian, we understand that the, the needs and the voids have already been filled by Jesus Christ himself. And we get it more clearly when we read that he has given us everything that we need for faith and service. He has given us everything we need for holy living. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then we know 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. It's authoritative. We, it helps us to see how crooked life can be when you use the straight edge of Scripture, how crooked things can get in this world and in this life. And let me finish this section by saying that the Word of God is complete. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 tells us not to add anything to it. And then it says after that, don't take anything from it. Because it's complete. It would be like, um, I know that Derek likes to put puzzles together. And it would be like Derek taking all the time to put a puzzle together. And then when he's done, taking about three or four pieces out of it and throwing them away. And not having a complete picture. Doesn't make any sense, does it? So why do that with the Word of God? Because it is complete. It's authoritative. It's all the things that we've talked about. So, I wanted to say this too. I've got one other quote I wanted to read you. This is from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He said that the Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. And the Word of God will always do that. It will always do that. And the Word of God goes out and it completes what it sets out to do because it is alive. And it is real, and it is powerful. Look at, look at what it did to you and to me. Look at how it showed us what, who Jesus Christ was. And then look at what Jesus Christ did. He made us completely different. Are you celebrating this morning how different you are now than the way you used to be? Why, if we're not celebrating that, why not? Because I believe that if we're truly celebrating that like we should, the world's going to see it. And it's going to come out. It's going to spill out in your everyday stuff. And they're going to see it and they're going to want it. Because in doing that, we're allowing Christ to work out what he has worked in. You know, the working out your salvation with fear and trembling. He is working out what he's worked in. And people are seeing it. And they're hearing it. And they're noticing it. And they're seeing that you act a little different than everybody else I know in this COVID pandemic. You seem to have a trust and a peace that is different than all the fear that I'm seeing. I don't know why this popped into my head, and I'm not going to give you this word for word, but I saw the other day when COVID started that people were posting things like, people are so scared now that you could rob a bank. 
with a dirty tissue. Dirty tissue. Think about that. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's, let's look at what Jesus had to say. In Luke chapter 4, we're going to read some scripture from there. Now, Jesus is back in his hometown of Nazareth. They kind of set it up for you here. In verse number 16, he says, it says this, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, I want to point something out in this verse here. Uh, it seems to me like synagogue attendance or church attendance was a regular thing for him. He didn't really have to wonder if he was going to go. Um, he didn't have to think about whether or not the weather was going to be nice enough for me to go and do this instead. Or this is a hard thing to hear. I, he didn't have to think about whether or not the kids needed to be somewhere else. He, he went to church. And that was an important thing for him. And that's, that's a lesson for me as well. He didn't have to worry about being tired and staying at home. Um, for the past, the past two years, I've probably missed more church than I've missed in my whole life. So sickness, you know, barring sickness and just not being, uh, not being a good idea for you to be out in public because you're contagious and stuff like that, that stay at home. Stay at home. But you know what? This, what we're doing here this morning is a privilege. It's a great privilege for us to be here and to come together and to sing together and to worship together. But I want you to see that in these verses, and we're going to read uh, 17 here in just a second, but I want you to see how Jesus saw how important it was to read the Word. That should go without saying, but that's what he's doing here. He was such a great reader, and he was a great teacher, and he was a great preacher. Look at verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So in reading the Word of God, it makes sense that Jesus was familiar with it. Did you catch where it said he found the place? So he knew where to look. And I, how many times have I, have we been at a service and he said, okay, I want you to turn to Habakkuk, or I want you to turn to Song of Solomon, or I want you to turn to uh, Matthew. That's an easy one, but, and you're like, where is that? Where is that? But Jesus read the Bible, so he knew where it was. He knew where, where the place was. It was familiar to him because he read it. And as he goes on, he shares stories from the Old Testament in his sermon. And he just assumes that the people who are listening know the Bible. And they're going to understand what he's talking about and what he's saying. And he ends up saying things like, have you not read? Have you not read? You know these things. This is what it says. That's what, this is what the Bible says. And I wonder, and I think about us, I mean, how are we doing with our Bible reading? And, you know, there are so many, so many different surveys out there showing percentages of, of people who have 
only read this much of the Bible and only this percentage of people have ever read the Bible completely through. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see those percentages. I'm not going to give those to you now for time's sake. But we need to read the Word. Jesus shows us how important it is to read the Word. But he also tells us how important it is to, to feed from the Word. And it's because after he read the Word, he, he preached the Word. So it's important for us to read the Word, but also feed off of it. And then he quoted from Isaiah chapter 61. It's a passage that everyone would have known referred to the mission of the Messiah, what the Messiah was here to do. And it said that he was here to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then look at verses 20 and 21. Notice what Jesus said. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. We read the word and we feed off the word. We let the Holy Spirit illuminate the scriptures to us. And we take it in and we allow it to work within us and do what it wants to do. We hide the word of God in our hearts, basically. So we need to read it. We need to chew on it and feed on it. But we also need to listen and take heed to what the Word says. Um, Mark Twain was not really uh, a diehard Christian. I think most of us know who he is. He wrote Tom Sawyer. But he said this about Scripture. He said, Most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture that they don't understand, but the passages that bother me the most are the ones that I do understand. The ones that bother me the most are the ones that I do understand. And what Jesus was doing here on this day is he was talking about scriptures. He was giving examples from the Old Testament to make a point to those who were listening to him on this very day that they really weren't any better than anybody else. Because there, you know, there were groups of people who felt like they were superior to other people for various reasons. We know this. But until everybody, and he was wanting them to understand this, and, and when he said that he had come to do all those things, he was taking in everybody. That was for everybody. Those who might have thought, well, I'm not blind, I can see, or, or I'm not oppressed. And, but he was speaking about how he had come to save the world. It included everybody, even those self-righteous uh, Pharisees and those Israelites and those people who thought they were just a step above everybody else. But until they recognized that they were in need of a Savior, which works the same way today, until we realize we're in need of a Savior, until we realize that we are blind and that we are broken, we can't be saved. We have to understand that, there, that, that we have that need and that He has taken care of that need at, at Calvary. So the people were initially excited that Jesus was there and to hear what He had to say. And most of the time, people found comfort, and they were looking for comfort in maybe the words that he had to say. But as he continued to preach, that comfort turned into conviction, and they wanted him gone. It's much like when you talk to certain groups of people about alternative lifestyles, about homosexuality, about abortion. Well, you had me when you were talking about the love and the peace and the forgiveness 
But when you start talking about things like that, we're done with you. We want you out of here. But if the Word of God is just that, the Word of God, we have to submit to that. It's not our ideas. It's His ideas. It's His truth. And He's helping us to understand it. But as judges said, everyone will do what, is, what they want to do. And that's kind of where we're at. So they wanted him out of there. And in verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. So Jesus pretty much exposed them for who they were, and he wanted, they wanted to get rid of him. So what do we do? What do we do? When we don't want to hear the truth, do we just turn it off? Do we just close the Bible? Do we stop reading? Do we stop coming to church? Do we stay away from our Christian friends? Do we get rid of the messenger because we don't like the message? Well, verse 30 tells us what Jesus did. I don't think I gave you that verse. But it says that passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> he just went away. And I believe this is maybe the last time that he went to Nazareth. So he came to, to proclaim truth, he, to give them truth, because that's exactly what they needed. Verse uh, Chapter 8 of the book of John, verse 37 says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. So as lost individuals, if there's anyone here today that is lost, do you have room for Jesus in your heart? And I'll even say this to, to Christians, to believers. Do you have room for what Jesus wants to do in your heart and in your life today? The truth that he wants to give you. I, I, I feel so much for our, our young people, for our teenagers, for our, our single in people. Uh, it seems like we say this with every generation, but they are going through such difficult times. And there's such a, a mob mentality, it seems, to force uh, cultural beliefs on them to kind of push out what we have worked on to teach them since they've been in preschool or even since they've been infants. To give them the truth, and, and society is working so hard to, to, to squelch that and push it out of them. But I say to you and I say to our young people and our singles and for those that are going to college, stand firm and stand strong in what you know to be true. But do it the way Jesus did it. He was always willing to give grace, and what he did, he did with love. And can we not all do that? Can we not all share Christ with love? What the reason that Jesus even went that day to speak to those people and give the message that he gave, he knew what they needed to hear. And that's the definition of love, giving somebody what they need, not necessarily what they want. They probably wanted a pat on the back. You guys are doing a good job here. Things are looking great. Everybody seems to be okay. But he knew that they were not okay. And even people who thought that they were okay weren't okay. And so he preached the truth. And because the Word of God is powerful and it goes out and, and, and does what it goes out to do, it was working in their hearts and they didn't like it. And so they wanted to get rid of them. They wanted to throw them off a cliff. If you are upset with anything that I have to say, before you do that to me, let's have a talk. 
Don't throw me off a cliff. I fall enough on my own as it is. But there's one thing that will never happen in my life, and I will never fall away. I can never fall out of. I can never lose what Christ has done in my heart because it's a forever thing. He's a forever God, and He doesn't make mistakes, and He doesn't say, oops, I wish I hadn't done that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take that from you because you're not appreciating it. Never once has Jesus said to me, what have you done for me lately? What have you done to earn my grace? He doesn't say that. And what a friend I have found in him. The best friend ever. Is he your friend? Do you know? Do you know, even as we're talking and even as we're explaining these things, do you know that you are not saved? Do you know that you haven't opened up your heart and life to Christ? And I say to you, with love, let him in. And your life will never be the same. And you'll never look back. Except to see the faithfulness of God in your past. And it will cause you to believe and your faith to become stronger. That what his faithfulness in the past shows that he's going to be faithful in the future as well. So use these things as you try to witness to the world because the world needs, does the world need a vaccine? Does the world need a booster? Does the world need to get those cargo ships emptied out and those trucks delivering that merchandise to the stores so we can have a holly jolly Christmas this year? Or does the world need Jesus? Let's all stand. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment.